0: Incels and masculinity in the 21st century. All that and more on this week's episode of Ask Science Mike. you got questions, he's got answers. Even though he may not understand, he'll talk anyway. he got problems, he won't solve them. But he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face. Science, faith, and life. Welcome to Ask Science Mike, the weekly podcast where I answer your questions about science, faith, and life. I'm your host, Mike McCarg, and this week we're doing a special episode uh, really based around what it means to be a man. And before we do that, we've got some announcements to do, so let's get it started. This week is going to be one of those topical programs that I've been doing lately, uh, where I follow a subject that has captured my interest. Before we get into it, though, I want to let you know, uh, really, two things. One is, uh, if you don't know, I co-founded a organization called The Liturgists, most known for The Liturgist Podcast, and this week we are launching something new called The Liturgist Network, which is a... A series of podcasts in addition to the Liturgist podcast, which is well known. We're trying to highlight other voices and other perspectives and other viewpoints, and in doing so, just offer you more podcasts. Why this is relevant to you as an Ask Science Mike listener? Well, Ask Science Mike is now a part of the Liturgist Network, along with the Liturgist podcast, but other podcasts that are on the network include the Red Couch podcast with Propaganda and Alma. You might know Prop either from his incredible music or from his appearance on the Liturgist episode, Black and White. And we're also launching the Unravel podcast with Brady Toops. Brady's a good friend of mine and has created a really thoughtful, beautiful program that's centered around conversations. Very, very, very balanced, empathetic, beautiful conversation. So we're launching the Liturgist Network with four podcasts. So if you've only heard Ask Science Mike, I'd encourage you to go to theliturgist.com slash network and check out the descriptions to the other podcasts and give them a listen. Uh, we're really excited to introduce you to the Liturgist Network with more podcasts coming in the future. Absolutely. And in fact, if you know of podcasts you'd like us to consider for inclusion in the Liturgist Network feel free to go to asksciencemike.com, send me a message, and I'll make sure that the team sees it. Okay. Also, events. May the 7th, uh, I'm going to be in Minnesota around the Minneapolis-St. Paul area for Jesus Wrote a Dinosaur, Faithful Ministry, Youth Ministry in a Scientific Age. Tickets are available for that right now. If you're not a youth minister, no big deal. Uh, The evening of May the 7th, I'm going to be doing the Battle of the Podcasts, Ask Science Mike versus Homebrewed Christianity with Trip Fuller. Uh, And that's a free event. You just have to RSVP for it. Uh, May 25th, the Liturgist Gathering is coming to Austin, Texas. And I just want to warn you, folks, uh, Austin tickets are selling very, very fast. We've already sold like one in four tickets available in the first week that ticket sales are available. We've never sold tickets this quickly for any liturgist event, and gatherings usually sell out. So if you're thinking about joining us in Austin, Texas for the Liturgist Gathering on May 25th, don't wait. Go to theliturgistgathering.com, grab your ticket today. Uh, July 27th, I'll be at the Skylight Festival in Ontario, Canada. I'd love to see you there. For all you folks up north, especially excited that's happening in the summer in Canada. And uh, the Liturgist gatherings going to London, England on October 5th. So all my friends on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, I'd love to see you October 5th and 6th for the Liturgist Gathering. Well, I've been traveling a lot and getting really behind on email. Including Ask Science Mike emails. Um, Andrew Galecki, who does pre production, actually messaged me and said, Hey, are we not getting questions for Ask Science Mike anymore? Because I'm so behind in transferring messages from that inbox into the system that Andrew uses to sort them. As I was kind of catching up on that and looking at the emails that came in, I noticed a theme in just a handful of messages. And one of those messages, read like this. Science Mike, what does incel mean? I keep seeing this term mentioned online, and I googled it, and I saw that it stands for involuntarily celibate. What is this about? Uh, So you may have never heard of incels or the incel movement, uh, and and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, But then I saw some other messages written to me from men, that were asking about uh, how to approach women in an age of feminism. They, they're afraid that if they try to flirt with a girl, uh, they are going to be viewed as predatory. You know, they, would, they don't want to be part of the problem, but they're, they, they, honestly, it was heartbreaking. Some of these messages conveyed an incredible sense of, you know, loneliness and desperation. And so I kind of want to start unpacking that a little bit, because we're in a weird age uh, that produces something like the incel movement, the involuntarily celibate movement. These are people who believe that they'll never be able to have sex with another person, specifically generally women. This is not a a very LGBTQ affirming community uh, in general. I don't want to ever paint people with a broad stroke from what i've seen online uh where incels gather self-identified incels gather online they are not um, accommodating of lgbtq identities but they believe that they'll never be able to have sexual intimacy with a woman uh, because they have you know bad genetics or they're they're unattractive uh, so there's a lot of self-loathing built into this movement and this movement which is 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 both very very deeply saddening to observe, and kind of horrifying and even rage-inducing in the way that this movement so often refers to women. Uh, I I use the term femoids often for women, like a humanoid, a femoid. Uh, So very much taking an objectifying, dehumanizing approach to women out of resentment over access to uh, sexual intimacy. And I think the incel movement is deeply linked to the rise of the alt-right. We basically have hundreds of thousands or millions of men today in the world who resent women's liberation because they believe the changes in society that have occurred prevent them from having uh, what once was basically men were almost guaranteed access to women's bodies. And boy, is that a troubling idea and one might be tempted to just dismiss the incel movement out of hand but there's no question that this level of desperation uh, happening in men today is causing a lot of problems in society and not just for the men who feel so isolated they would refer to themselves as involuntarily celibate Uh, so i think to understand involuntary celibacy We really have to understand masculinity, marriage, and relationships in the context of anthropological history, okay? So uh, let's kind of just roll back to the emergence of our anatomically modern Homo sapiens a couple hundred thousand years ago. And what we understand from archaeological records is that it, it, it seems that hunter-gatherer societies were a bit more egalitarian than things that happened post-agriculture. And anthropologists theorize that the rise of agriculture, meaning intentionally cultivating you know, uh, livestock and crops, was so labor-intensive that it reduced women's labor value. So the main value of women became their re- reproductive capacity. And so for a man who's now defending some land and later owning some land uh, and who wants to cultivate food on it, he needs people to work that land. Children happen to make handy farm farmhands. Uh, and this gives the rise to uh, male-centered uh, polygamous relationships and later monogamous relationships that become... Uh, the institution of marriage. So marriage begins with men trying to secure access to reproductive capacity in women. Later, marriage kind of creates an additional value in creating tangible alliances with other tribes and cultures and ultimately nations and nation states and things like monarchy. So women became bartered as part of an alliance and their value got further and further reduced. In fact, you had to pay a dowry to transfer a daughter into another person's family because they were seen as so much less valuable than men. That's wild. If, if we think about the institution of marriage, which so many people, especially Christians, defend vigorously, uh, it actually historically rose out of the need to own and control women. So when, when, when polygamous relationships were allowed, and they were, they were always multiple women, single man, this came from wealth and power. The more wealthy and powerful you were, the more brides, the more women you could have. And this was not generally a matter of sexual novelty, as we would kind of interpret through a modernist lens, but, but property rights and alliances. So it's much later that romantic relationships come into fashion in marriage, and they kind of do that as slavery goes out of fashion. As the idea of owning other people became less palatable to human societies, you see romantic love introduced in literature and media, and some feminist scholars uh, believe that is primarily as a means of controlling women, to make their primary desire to be desired, right? So romantic love becomes a way to control women by getting women to avoid their own agency and their own you know, power to act as an individual and instead to attract the do- desire of men and to compete with other women for the desire of a man. They're trained to view themselves as an object to be one and to compete with other objects, namely women, for the desire of men. And this is a terrible deal for women in society. It means all they get to do is compete for the affections of a man, and once they win it, they get to clean a house and raise children. This is obviously terrible. We all agree this is terrible. So what happens? Women's movements. First women's suffrage, the right to vote, and later feminist movements come along and they create a new script for women liberation offered them a new identity as people women's liberation and that was very good and that that movement inspired other movements right you start to, you see well around the same time abolitionism gets to gain steam we stop thinking that it's okay to own people, especially African people in America. That's good. Then the civil rights movement comes along, and it offers a new identity for people of color, especially black people in America. A new identity. They're not owned. They're proud, strong, black Americans. That, that's a script that offers identity. The LGBTQ movement comes along, and it offers a new script for LGBTQ people, and these are all wonderful movements in human society. Don't hear that I am questioning the value of these movements. The beauty of these movements bring tears to my eyes in the way that they promote universal human justice and equality. But here's the problem. As we have societally written new scripts for women and people of color and women of color and LGBTQ people and immigrants into this country, especially Hispanic and Latino immigrants, there has not been a new script created for men, especially straight white men. Often the perceived script in this age of liberation for straight white men is you are the oppressor, and no one wants to be the oppressor. No matter how true it is that white straight men have have occupied a historic station of privilege and of genuine power, they don't want a new script that says you are the oppressor. So straight white men often try to revert to an old script and what does that old script say it says you're in charge it says you have to be emotionally stoic and self-sufficient it says that vulnerability is weakness that your value comes in competition and winning and dominating other people ideally be nice about it which is kind of an institutionalized paternalism so what does this have to do with the incel movement and with marriage? Well, Homo sapiens biologically look like serial monogamists. If you look at how we compare to other species of primates, especially apes, we don't look like we're as, as committed as, as gorillas or as promiscuous as chimpanzees or somewhere in the middle. Studies tell us that it looks like the center of gravity, the kind of bonding period for a human relationship that is based primarily on sexual attraction, is is anywhere from 8 to 20 years. And that's kind of what nature calls in the human body. And then we shred through women's liberation, as we should, and through LGBTQ justice, we shred the script on sex and sexuality. Well, what happens to Men who don't have a new script, they still want sex, they still want intimacy, but their previous script, which was, you know, men are this powerful protector, provider, the strong, silent type, the head of the household, that's not welcome anymore, and it shouldn't be. But what are men now? What we found is modern men are lonely and isolated. Statistically, they have very few friendships they don't know how to create lasting bonds with other people. And if they're married, they don't know how to create lasting bonds with their own wives. I think one problem is that the way we view marriage is rotten and it needs to be reformed. But I also think masculinity itself needs a new script. We need a new way for men to have identity. What do loneliness, alienation, and desperation in men produce? Violence, mass violence, gun violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment. This toxicity has to be dealt with. And it can't be dealt with simply by telling men to behave. (laughs) There has to be a script. There has to be some liberation-like movement for men. And I've been thinking a lot about what that looks like because we're in a situation right now of hyper-masculinity being idealized and valued historically and now nostalgically. Hyper-masculinity, the, 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 the cowboy riding into town and killing all the bad guys, taking the women right when all you have is hypermasculinity everything looks like a target it's unhealthy and i don't want a world where straight men especially straight white men are lonely are full of despair and feel alienated because it's bad for them and it's bad for everyone else now think about me i'm a white straight Man, But I am not uh, primarily identifying myself as a powerful provider or a protector. I'm certainly not the strong, silent, stoic type. I'm not the head of my household, and I have no desire to be. I don't play sports. I don't like to try to dominate other people. Competition is very uninteresting to me. So we need to create a script for inclusive masculinity because the kind of resentment and rage we see in the incel movement and in, and in men today is the very thing that is preventing them from attaining true intimacy with other people, be it sexual or otherwise. This fear of change, this fear of letting other people share power in society comes from lack, and love knows no lack. The courage to share power with everyone else in society comes not from weakness, but from strength. So here's what I would say to my fellow straight men, and all men. There's no need to be a powerful protector anymore. What the world needs instead are powerful advocates. What is an advocate? An advocate is someone who stands up for others, yes, but doesn't stand over them. An advocate lends their own strength and their own resources to helping others while expecting nothing in return. We don't need a cowboy who rides into town and shoots all the bad guys. We need men who stand in solidarity with women and people of color and immigrants and LGBTQ people. We need men who advocate that everyone is equal and everyone deserves the same rights and the same levels of economic access. We need men who are partners in society, co-equal members of civilization who relish rights and responsibilities for themselves and for others. Instead of being strong and silent and stoic, a new inclusive script of masculinity tells men that they are vulnerable and empathetic. I cry all the time. (laughs) And I don't feel weak and I don't feel ashamed and I don't feel judged. Hell, I don't care if I am judged because I cry. There's nothing wrong with having feelings, with experiencing those feelings. I laugh loudly And I sob with the same gusto because there is no reason for me to be ashamed of how I feel because when we're vulnerable, when we admit to others how we feel, and we admit to ourselves how we feel, we create the opportunity to connect with other people. My friends, listen to me. The more vulnerable I have been in life, the more friends and the more support I have as a person. Has being a vulnerable man cost me some relationships? Absolutely. But it's gained me thousands more. But it's not enough to just be vulnerable. We don't want to be self-obsessed. We don't want to think only of our own feelings. We must also be empathetic. We must be responsive and aware of the feelings of others because that responsiveness to their vulnerability and their responsiveness to our vulnerability forms deep emotional bonds. It allows us to communicate through difficult topics and situations. Mutual empathy Mutual concern is an unmatched tool for both personal growth and societal change. We need to stop worrying about being the head of a household, and we need to start being equal partners with those in our household. That might be a spouse or a domestic partnership. That might be co-parenting. You might be a single father and instead of being the head of household with your children, you should work to partner with your children. Yes, you will have to lead because of your maturity and your legal status. But a partner is willing to say, I'm sorry when they're wrong. A partner has no need to control or dominate others. A partner works with other people to make it through each day and indeed through life. And my new script for masculinity, it says that men are powerful advocates. They're partners in society and in their households. They are vulnerable, they're empathetic, and they are inclusive. To be masculine, to be manly, is to understand that women can be masculine as well, and that men Can be feminine. That a human being has no need of a penis to identify as a man. And there's no need to be threatened when people are attracted to different genders than you are. Being a strong man means being unconcerned if you express feminine qualities and to carry yourself with dignity and with pride and to accept the dignity and pride of others as well. An inclusive man understands that everyone is on a journey, that like us, everyone is just trying to figure out how to make it through life while avoiding harm toward others and pursuing a good life for yourself while being an advocate for everyone. A man doesn't pursue a good life at the expense of others. It breaks my heart that there are communities of hundreds of thousands of young men online who identify as involuntarily celibate. But I know that they do so because they're trying to read from a script that doesn't work anymore. And so to anyone listening, who is a man who is lonely or alienated or desperate, who feels fear in response to movements for Women's liberation, take a deep breath. The first step on a journey towards being a man is to love and accept yourself. Your body is beautiful and your identity isn't vile. Learn to see the fullness and beauty of the person that you are and understand that where you feel so much Pain, enough pain to call yourself subhuman in some cases, is coming from a system that's designed not only to oppress women and people of color and people of different sexualities or gender identities, but also to oppress you, to put you in a box and to tell you exactly who you should be. So be a man. And tear that box apart. Start viewing other people as beautiful and as whole as you see yourself.